Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. So much fun off the microphone. You guys would love to hear some of the stuff that that, that Benji says. Um, anyway, I am Tom Marshall. Hello, and it has been a pleasure this season to be your time-traveling show Sherpa as we've revisited, relived, and maybe even redefined Fish's storied Fall 97 tour. Welcome to the, to- the tour closer. So this is it? It's over? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, that's the voice, if you're wondering, and for those watching on YouTube, uh, the mysterious mustachioed headshot over there of my co-host, Benji Eisen. But Benji, uh, please remain seated until the ride has come to a complete stop. We've got one more to go. So you're telling me to um, keep my arms and legs inside the ride at all times. Yeah, (laughs) basically, (laughs) I'm telling you to sit down and relax. We've got the tour closer to go, and we've got something special planned for it. In fact... I have a feeling that for the first time this season, we're going to be focusing on two bands today, Fish and... King Gizzard. (laughs) Thank you. Try again. Goose. (laughs) Nope. Try (laughs) Jay Willis Pratt and We're Bionic. You know, actually, I have tried them uh, one time, and I'll never forget it. It was actually the night that we're about to speak about. It was quite an unexpected experience. Uh, And also, Tom, they are not... Jay Willis Pratt and Where Bionic is not a fictional offshoot of fish like uh, say uh, Cosmo Voxed. Uh, your turn to strike out. Uh, sci fi soldier. I'll take ass face for 500, <laughs> Alex. Um, look, before we go too far off the rails here, uh, I have a special announcement to make. If you've enjoyed this season of Undermine, then it is not too late to join Osiris Premium and keep this party going. It's cheap, it's only a couple bucks. Uh, it makes a great holiday gift, and you will get ad-free and bonus episodes of Undermine, HF Pod, 
access to the Under the Scales archives, meet and greets, and of course, more. So check it out, osirispod.com backslash premium, or just click on the links in the show notes. Okay, so this is it? It's over? It's over. <laughs> we, we're, uh, we're at Albany, New York, in a building that deadheads fondly recall as the Knickerbocker Arena, but fans going inside the building on December 13th, 1997, saw signage that declared it the Pepsi Arena. You know, Tom, there is a soft drink joke in there somewhere, but I, I just don't have it. <laughs> so it's something about the Pepsi challenge. Uh, <laughs> But enough. Tell us about our guest today, Tom. Okay, you've made me thirsty, but um, I thought you'd never ask. Uh, today's guest has something in common with Dave Matthews Band, Medeski Martin and Wood, and the legendary Aquarium Rescue Unit. If you were at Fish's Fall 97 tour closer on December 13th, 1997, in Albany, New York, and I know you were, Benji, and so was I, um, and so is today's guest, then you might remember that when you entered the arena, there was a surprise opening band on stage. And that band was John Fishman's friend, Jay Willis Pratt. And his band is called Jay Willis Pratt and We're Bionic. And today's guest is the guitarist, John Kasowitz. These days, he mostly spends his time being a software engineer and a studio music composer. He scores films, I believe. And we should ask him about that. Some of you might know him from another band, Jazz Rockers Raisin Hill. I'm going to bring him in from the green room now. So please welcome John Kazowitz. Hey, guys. There, there he is. Hi, John. Hey, Hi John. How are you? Thanks for joining Thanks. us today. In the, in, in, the, in the intro, you probably couldn't hear because you were in the waiting room. Uh, we kind of mentioned that, that opening uh, that you guys did uh, for the, the tour closer for Fish's 97 tour the final night december 13th 1997 and it was a special night for fish fans but a, a special night for you what was the first thing you think of when you look back on this night john i mean it's it's so hard not to just put myself back on that stage we were on the fish stage i was standing <laughs> on mike's rug in front of his <laughs> pedal board with his mic stand in front of me looking out at their crowd and under their lights and through their sound system. It was just incredible. It was unreal, totally surreal. Uh, I still can't believe it really happened. And apart from those bands that I mentioned in the intro, you know, very few bands have, have opened for fish and it's like, you count yourself, you know, on, uh, on one hand, less, less fingers uh, than on a normal person's hand, I think have opened for fish. Yeah. And for us too, I mean, and for me, this was the largest crowd I had ever played up, you know, in front of up until that point and since then. So it's been, you know, it's definitely mon monumental for me. Awesome. Let, let's back up for one second. Um, you know, uh, let's talk about Jay Willis Pratt and we're bionic, you know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with that band, how long were you in them? And uh, just, can you tell us about them? Sure. Um, well, uh, it's it's hard to to talk about Jay Willis Pratt and Word Bionic without first kind of like explaining who Jay Willis Pratt is. Um, he's uh, born and raised in Vermont. Uh, just has a knack for writing these really catchy songs with uh, hard hard rock songs with uh, direct messages, um, strong hooks. Um, I think he hooked the Fish guys pretty early in the '80s. Uh, he was friends with them for a long time. But I met him uh, first when I became a student at Goddard. Um, two years prior, so probably like early 95. 
two weeks after I came to Goddard, I was looking for musicians uh, to play with, or at least just find out like what the local scene was like. Um, and Willis was the first person that I met. He was somebody that that I was introduced to um, as kind of a local rock star. Um, so he and I had been friends for two years. Uh, I knew that he had two albums uh, produced by a Fishman. Um, he had played a few gigs here and there. Uh, Fish had sat in on drums with him live, but then also definitely in the recordings. Um, but uh, I don't even know if I saw Willis perform before we performed in 97. We had been friends for two years. I had been a musician separately in other bands, but we had never actually played together, even though we hung out all the time. We were like best friends, but uh, our musical paths didn't necessarily cross until three weeks prior to December 13th, when the fateful, fateful call came uh, from Fishman. I was actually hanging out with Willis at his apartment. He's like, check this out. Uh, presses play in his answering machine and it's Fishman. He's like, hey, Willis, talk to the guys. Like, we're psyched. We want you to come down, open for us, Albany or Pepsi Arena in Albany, December 13th. Be there at 3 p.m. We're going to send up a couple passes, put a band together, you know, psyched. Like, that was it. It was like, that was all the information we had back then. I didn't even know where the Pepsi Arena really was. <laughs> um, so I turned to Willis and I'm like, you know, put a band together. Like, are you going to do it solo? Like, are you going to put a band together? Because, uh, you know, I don't know who your regular guys are, um, but listen, like this is an incredible opportunity. And of course I would love to participate if you need anybody, guitar player, keyboardist, drummer, whatever. Um, of course, Fishman is the, the real and official drummer uh, for we're bionic. Uh, Willis will always tell you that we've played with lots of other drummers along the way when fish can't make it, but he's always the first string player in our group. Uh, but I literally had to audition for the band at that point. He's like, I'm not so sure this is a big, important gig for me. I don't know. Like, can you really play? Uh, so the first couple of rehearsals were sort of my audition. Uh, I think he was into it. I had to borrow somebody's bass. So three weeks before I got into the band, three weeks later, I'm on stage opening for Fish. That is called being in the room at the right place at the right time when he pressed play on that message. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's really really cool. Um, I'm surprised that like um, no songs. Like uh, another uh, friend of the band, Nancy, you know, wrote um, Haley's Comet, and I didn't know. I'm surprised no Jay Willis Pratt songs have migrated into the the catalog if they're as hooky and catchy as you say do, do you know if they ever have or has fish ever played any they have not i've talked to fishman about this before uh we uh i, I made a few suggestions because i think that it would be thrilling i you know I'd, i've been waiting to, to see if they would ever bust one out um i think there are definitely a few songs i mean bleeding the shark tank his second album um fishman's playing drums but both Mike and, and Trey also appear on several tracks on that on that album. So they know these tunes. They just have to get it around, I think, and rehearse one and, and bring it to the stage. Unless I'm mistaken, I think I've heard um, Jay Willis Pratt's songs played by Fish as DJ when he does The Errant Path. Um, oh, so, okay. Yes, so, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe <laughs> some of us may have heard it, whether we know what we were listening to or not. But um, was this the first time then that you saw Fish or had you seen Fish prior? I had seen Fish prior, not not I feel like not in a while. Uh, in '97, I also went uh, actually with Willis to go see them uh, at the Flint Theater in Burlington for the uh, the fish food uh, yes. bonanza, and we all walked out with like you know armfuls of, of pints of fish food, which was pretty great. Um, but uh, prior to that, um, I think my first show was like twelve uh, '93. It was twelve. 
2029. I saw two shows in that 93 New Year's run, one in New Haven and uh, one up in the New Year's show up in Worcester. Um, and then I saw some shows in 94, 95. After that, not too many. Like 96, I went to Clifford Ball. Uh, 97, uh, these, these shows as well. I, I, I did show up to Albany night earlier to check out, uh, 1212 and then play it on 1213. Nice. So then you were, you know, familiar with fish for sure. Um, and so you knew back then, of course, that it was, you know, as, as Tom mentioned, it was a rare occasion when they'd have somebody open for them. I remember they had baby gramps in 93. <laughs> um, they had okay. Dave Matthews band in 94 um and uh those guys i don't know what happened to their career right after that but uh then modesky martin wood in 1995 um and i think that you were part of the, you were the last opener you know i don't think that any band has has opened again since so you know you you just kind of took us back to those moments before when you found out that you'd be opening to fish in the three weeks leading up to it was there any interaction i mean obviously you, you have fish himself but was there any interaction with the band members leading up to it? Was there? Do you remember communication uh, as you were advancing the gig? Um, no communication just prior to that. Uh, I mean, I you know, yeah, I had different interactions with with different band members before that, uh, certainly. But um, but nothing like coming up to that gig. We really showed up cold. We didn't even know where to park. Like we, one of the cars ended up behind the the the, the all their. They're 16 wheelers and uh, Brad Sands had to come like running to find somebody's car keys to move the car to get us out of the way. I mean, we were really, really cold and new and, you know, uh, coming into that. that on, show day, did, on show day, uh, do you know if they watched this, the set? Did they talk to you at all about it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we we got there around three or four o'clock. Um, we knew that we were, were supposed to get there early enough for sound check. Um, we first met with Paul Languidoc. He uh, was like, where's your stage plot? We're like, we're total unprofessionals. We don't have that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we talked about, you know, like the stage setup and the equipment. He saw us lugging in our like pretty, you know, ragged gear. Uh, and I love the story because he, he just looked at it. He took one look at our gear and he's just like, all right, yeah. let me go raid the uh, backstage rehearsal room, grab a tray amp and grab a mic amp or sorry. Yeah. And like, you know, let's make you guys sound really good for this. I mean, that was, we just felt the warmth immediately. We felt this big hug from like all the crew members that like, we want to do this right. I think there was like one other story that, that Paul was telling me that when Fish opened for Santana, like they used to only get like a certain part of the, the mixing board. He's like, I'm going to give you the whole mixing board for this. And, <laughs> and Chris Carota came out to us. He's like, do you guys want the full like light show? Or like, yes, absolutely. So we had a full sound check uh, with, with all these guys. And as we were playing through, I think like two or three full songs to an empty arena, uh, I looked down and the four guys in the fish are front row center sitting watching our sound check. And that was so special. And also, again, like unbelievable. Like, oh my God, fish is now watching me like in their arena. Like that's wild. That's great. Was there, um, I, I think you, you might've answered this, but I didn't quite get it. Was there ever a thought that Fishman would play drums for this set? Yes, I think that there certainly was. And uh, I think, you know, there's there's still questions in everyone's minds, like, why didn't he just come up and play? I think that, uh, you know, uh, from talking to him, I, I think it was just like, it didn't feel right to have the opening band and, the, and the, the headliner, like, have the same drummer. I think he was really hoping we would bring a drummer, and we were kind of secretly hoping he would just, you know, flip yeah. off onto the, the throne and play. But uh, it never the, happened. So, yeah, we opened drummerless in a hard rock band. It was kind of... <laughs> 
I I have a question that maybe Benji would know um, as a tape collector. Um, did the tapers in the room press record for the whole Jay Willis Pratt set? And is it on all the fish tapes or is it's, it not? It's not on all the fish tapes. Um, it, I do have a copy of it, though. I think that uh, Paul might have had a, a cassette uh, recorder uh, off the board that um, that I have a copy of. And we this was also prior to like they having or them having uh, the video camera like on uh. The, the sound riser or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but we did have a video, like Willis brought his like, uh, his, his like camcorder and we had a tape of that. And over the years it just got lost, which is sad, but uh, there are a couple of photos and, and the recording. So 20, oh. 25 years ago to the day you were on stage. Um, and, and I just want to know how, how, did, how did the set go? You know, how, did, did you pull it off? Okay. How many songs did you play? Uh, so, you know, I, I think like it was a seven o'clock show or something and, and they were like, okay, Fish has to hit the stage by 745. So you guys are going to go on like around seven and play for like 30 minutes and then we'll switch it over. Um, so how many songs we played? I, I haven't counted recently, probably six or seven. Um, it was about a 25 minute set. Um, the lights went down. Fishman actually went up and introduced us. So uh, I just remember the crowd sort of being light at that point. Cause you know, people were milling around. It was cold outside. So people were inside, um, but they're out in the hallways and bigger lines and stuff. Uh, and um, as soon as the lights went down and somebody, and they heard Fishman's voice, cause that was a big deal. Like it was like, Oh, something's happening. Like, we don't know what, you know, everyone's looking for that big surprise at a fish show. Uh, so I just remember all of the, the doorways, the lit up doorways uh, in the, uh, in the arena filling up with people. I could watch people streaming in our entire set. So I think that by the like, you know, song three or four, we pretty much had a full house. Well, that was uh, that was one of I was one of those people streaming in. I had heard there was a rumor uh, outside, and the and the like you said, it was pulled. And and for the Pepsi Arena, the scene kind of spills out into the street, and they they close off some of the the actual street to traffic. And uh, Tom, I think I may have run into you this night outside. I might be confusing it with another night in Albany. But regardless, I heard the rumor that there was going to be an opening band. And I had actually heard of, of Jay Willis, Pratt & Whereby on it through uh, Fish Dorkdom and geekiness and just hearing about the connection and all that. And so I, I went inside. Uh, I caught the set. You know, uh, you just have such an amazing experience of this night. And this night was such an amazing a night in fish history period uh you know after you then fish comes back on stage after a quick set change and plays a legendary show so we are going to take our own little set change here a little set break uh and go to a very quick commercial but don't go anywhere because when we come back fish will take center stage Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. 
DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, DistroKid. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. As promised, we are back. We're talking about Fish's 12-13-97 tour closer in Albany, New York with John Kazowitz, who had the unique experience of opening for the band that night with Jay Willis Pratt and We're Bionic. Uh, John played guitar, and we were talking about it earlier in this episode before the break, and um, John pointed out to us that there's a couple of YouTubes where you could see Jay Willis Pratt and We're Bionic with Fishman playing drums. Um, and also in the show notes for this episode, we're going to have more of tonight's show, tonight's opener um, that you can find. Uh, we don't know exactly where it is yet, but check out the show notes. So, John, after after your set, you walk off stage. Um, did you interact with any of the Fish Band members or were they kind of getting ready um you know for for their set yeah we certainly had a lot of time to spend with them like during dinner and and before the show but uh it's such a professional environment back there um as many people as were backstage back in those days um you know this the the, the band area is closed off and you kind of know you get a sense of like which door is not to go through so i think that they were preparing themselves for the show right before. it sometimes helps when you see a, a huge uh john langenstein with his arms folded standing right in front of the the one hallway that leads to all the band rooms <laughs> yeah i remember that clearly <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's dive into the show. Um, you know, the first set doesn't look, looking back on it all these years later, 25 years later, it doesn't look super remarkable on paper. But of course, that's part of the story of, of, of Fish and of this tour is that the, the set list never tells the, the tale. You know, there are a lot of uh, unexpected first set, first song jams this tour. Uh, uh, this was one of them. It was an unusual 18-minute jammed out Yamar. It had uh, an immediate Cal Funk flavor to it, which was kind of the staple of the tour. Um, John, can you just kind of take us through that, the first set? Uh, yeah, first set, um, both sets, uh, I sort of saw in like three acts. So set one, act one, starts with this big Yamar, maybe the longest ever, I don't I don't know for a fact, but um, the fact that this Yamar ends, where it typically ends after like that, you know, there's a drum bit break in this one and then like the typical sort of guitar solo, a little noodly guitar solo. And then Trey comes back in with that opening riff, but like 20 beats per second slower. Uh, I don't know if that was intended or not, but it's slower. And then it shifts to like the parallel minor key. So it's like, you know, and so then they shift into this like slower, 
minor function for like 10 minutes. It's unbelievable. Like I, I just didn't see it coming. Um, I do remember this live because I was standing with my parents. They were like fifth row center at this show. This was their first fish experience ever. And after this 18 minute EMR, they turned to me, they're like, John, like we had such a fun time tonight, but we have to go. <laughs> um, You've almost given us, uh, a, this is a theme, a common theme where someone is bringing uh, someone who doesn't know fish to fish uh, during these 97 shows. And often their experience is what just happened to me? <laughs> we should almost have a podcast about bringing people to fish. <laughs> that's that's very funny um so to continue on so yamar and then uh axilla follows that and what's interesting about this is that as much as trey slowed down uh the ending of yamar he speeds up axilla for i don't know how it started so quickly but um <laughs> but that they, they all come in and i think they very you know they uh, like very soon after that they do slow down to like the typical tempo of that song um but that's what, that's the original, original lyrics and uh, part two's ending. I don't know if that was like a common thing back then, but uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, Excella and then theme from the bottom, which is like a nice kind of cool down or cool down after, after all that jamming. Um, that to me is like act one, because, you know, it's kind of all over the place. There are lots of different feels. There, the songs are decently long. There are jams in each one. And then we go right into act two, which is like, Mike sings, Paige sings, Trey sings, three very, very uh, kind of like short traditional fish tunes where I wish that my parents saw this part of the first, the first set. They would probably <laughs> understand it a lot more. But uh, Jensen Sullivan, uh, Strange Design. So always like when that, when Strange Design starts, I'm like, oh, Paige, like I love hearing Paige sing. It's always like, you know, it's a nice breather in a set. Then um, sample in a jar, pretty like standard, I would say. I don't think they jammed it out too, too hard. Uh, and then like that to me, this is now going to act three vultures, which was a song I never, I never heard of before, uh, that night. That was a brand new song for me. Um, I think that was also like a bust out for the tour, right? Um, uh, they, they debuted vultures that summer. It was a, it's a 97 tune and it's part of the Califunk family of tunes, you know, with ghost as well. And it, what's interesting this night is that it it doesn't it's not a typical vultures, and that even though it like it gets grouped with that the the Califunk sound in that era, but uh, at the same time this vultures it, it kind of devolves in in the middle of it a little bit, and at, like you're saying you know the tempos that the Trey was you know kind of messing with earlier on in the set, to me that that inside this vultures he kind of does that and that it, it almost. And I, I, I use this not in a way of like, it falls apart, but not like in a way that's like, it, it intentionally falls apart. And then they kicked right back into that end of Vultures. And now when they go into that end of Vultures, it's a woo moment and it's a funky moment. Here it was more like the arena rock that they were playing in 96. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely like recognize that it was falling apart in that like sort of free noise jam thing. Um, but uh, Very but unusual was, for Vultures. Yeah. I was doing, yeah, I, was, I did some research about Vultures because it's a song I'm really not that familiar with, but it did sound sound like they sort of re-orchestrated uh, or, or, or came up with a new uh, sort of pattern of, of, of that middle section um, after yeah. that.
you brought up Axilla and the other lyrics. Um, I've never really asked Trey um, in recent times about this and like his preference, but I think it, it's hoist, right? Um, I think when that came out, they kind of bowed a little bit to some pressure about just how goofy the Axilla lyrics were and uh but that they like the rock aspect and uh and i guess this is elector talking um you know could you could you change it up could you change the lyrics and and so i remember trey and i having to come up with alternate lyrics which um i i think when trey went back to the original lyrics he's kind of thumbing his nose at establishment sort of at least in this early era 97 um but now unusually it's become uh it's become sort of a bust out you know hearing the part two <laughs> which is a, which is strange but it's interesting uh, i didn't know i didn't know that that history that's really that's really amazing i just can't believe how many words trey can remember and the fact that he can switch between two sets of lyrics for the same song that blows my mind uh yeah trey and page i think have this incredible gift where they they see lyrics and then they just know them and they know that you know in into every band's catalog too like they they know all beatles lyrics they know all led zeppelin lyrics they trey never i've never seen him like rooting around for lyrics and he just knows and i'm a lyricist right and and i love the beatles there's like beatles lyrics i didn't know it's like what are you singing and it's like oh my god that's what they're saying you know where, where he just always knows them and 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 i've seen him do it with my lyrics i, I bring him you know 20 poems and he kind of does this thing at the beginning of a writing session where he's going through all of them and then uh you know maybe two hours later he's kind of playing something on guitar and he'll go can you uh play can you tell me that one about the boat again and i'll be like uh what you know and he'll remember that there was one you know about you know x y or z that i completely don't know anything about and he'll even say like part of the the lines back to me it, it, it's just it's uncanny and that's how they can do it that's how they can have 500 songs in their repertoire yeah, that is um, amazing yeah really really amazing it, uh, benji are you, you, you should we go into uh set two well, I, before that i think john you're saying about the three ads and I'm, I'm curious to hear how the tube plays into it because the tube on this night was a very funky tube yeah, it was. And I think that's where I, I started to recognize that like Paige on clavinets, like this sound, this new fish sound, uh, like he was replacing a lot of like organ parts that he used to play on organ, like in tube or whatever. Now, like heavy, heavy clavinet style, uh, which brought me back to that, you know, just like the Stevie Wonder sound of the 70s. Like uh, I loved it. So that that's just like my remark on tube that it was just like funky, semi-ambient, semi, semi but a lot of clavinet. Yeah, super awesome. And then mm -hmm. good times, bad times. Uh, to me, that's like maybe a little nod to Willis, like a little like hard rock nod. I wish they would bring the Kiss song back. I know that uh, that Willis and, and Fishman often argue uh, about Kiss, but uh, I <laughs> Fish did play Kiss once, didn't they? Like it, well, I was hoping for the bust out there. Detroit they, Rock City, right? Yeah. Uh, here's here's the question. There, well, there's a story about about Fishman and Jay Willis Pratt going to a Kiss concert. Uh, I think that that's probably for another time, but it's a legendary story. It's a pretty legendary story, and Trey, I think, was also a part of that uh, that journey. Uh, you, you know, you can tell that story because it, it's interesting if you if you know it. 
Uh, well, I mean, I can paraphrase it. There is there's an interview with uh, with with Fishman and me for Relics Magazine like a couple of years ago, and I think that he 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 talks about it more. But uh, basically, short story: they sort of kidnap Willis from work one day, a Trey and, and Fishman, um, to to surprise him for his birthday to uh, to bring him to his favorite uh, rock uh, band concert, uh, Kiss, down in Worcester or whatever, and uh, uh, you know. A lot, of, a lot of fun on the way down during the show and the way back. It's a pretty <laughs> remarkable story. You need to hear Fishman tell this story because he's excellent at it. You, you know what? Another thing we'll do in addition to posting some of the music is we can post a link to that Relics article because uh, it's 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 definitely entertaining. Yeah. Note to self, got a lot of uh, show notes to write for this this show, <laughs> Benji. Um, yeah, so let's him. let's discuss Fame 2, the, 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 sorry, set to the famous bring the dude set, bring in the dude. And do you have any, uh, well, let's talk, let's, let's do it in order. Uh, what do you, what do you think about set two, John? Uh, set two, again, I see in three acts. So like act one and ICU, um, there's a note on that. Like, I think they saw, is it Trey that says, uh, play at Leo or screams play Leo. They did that at the beginning of set one and at the beginning of set two. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, punch in the eye, standard solid standard version uh ghost uh it felt a little slower to me maybe it's just like the beat the like the swing was a little bit different like it was just a more funky version than i was used to and again a lot of clavinet um and uh, and another uh another funk jam uh for sure it's it kind of sort of felt like the yamar jam it was like the foreshadowing of the ghost jam nice. uh, in this concert um so then uh so that was act one act two is this Mike song, the legendary bring on the dude. I thought it was at, in, at the moment, I thought it was bring on the dude, bring in the dude or changing to bring in the dude. I don't uh, think, oh I don't gosh. think they knew necessarily. I think it's bring in the dude, bring in the dude. And they were all saying it and it became, it almost became, it's hilarious when you hear this mics and uh, like, cause, cause Trey will say something like, all right, Paige, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, or Fishman, I'm going to bring in the dude. And then everyone goes quiet and Trey, it's like a, it's almost like a, a, a way of announcing that you want the, the spotlight briefly for yourself. And then he has Paige <laughs> bring in the dude. It's like, doesn't it, make any sense. And yet, can you shed any light on what the heck was going on with the dude? It stops. It starts uh, stop jams, you know, but but yeah, announced. Announced stop start jams. Yeah.
I mean, is there any other context? Because I'm curious, because I do have my own sort of perspective and opinion of it, but I, I don't know if there's already, if it's already been explained on the internet, you know, like that, uh, like what this was all about. It, it, um, it's, it struck a little memory chord in me just as we were talking about prepping for this show, but I'd like to hear what, what, what you, what you know. And then okay. I want to hear what you know, Tom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this was my perspective. Um, I did have a laminate all access pass for the show. So I was able to go anywhere and everywhere. I was wandering around every song. I was kind of like going into a new section or a new place that like I knew I wasn't ever allowed to go like between the, you know, like the front rail and the stage and just kind of squeezing in there and watching Trey from like five, five feet away. Um, but uh, so being backstage and being around, I know that Steve, the dude of life was, was there. Like he was backstage. He was hanging out with the band. Um, I had met Steve, you know, prior to that night. So, uh, you know, we were kind of friendly with each other. Um, so when I was, I think when they started Mike's song, I was like right on the side of the stage, like by the stairs or something. And, uh, and I, you can hear it in the recording, like they're, they're kind of talking on stage. Like they're like, before anybody like yells, bring on the dude or bring in the dude, there's kind of like conversations. And I, and I, I had the sense that they wanted, they were summoning the dude of life. Like they wanted Steve to come on stage and maybe do like a crimes of the mind or something in between Mike's song and weak pod. Uh, so when I, when I saw them, when, whenever they started saying like, bring, bring the dude, I ran backstage and was like, where's Steve? Where's Steve? I, I have to find the dude. Like he's, he's like, they want him on stage. And uh, so during this whole mic song, I think I was like running around the arena looking for Steve uh, <laughs> and I couldn't find him. And I, I finally found him at the end of the night and he's like, what? I didn't hear it. <laughs> so it was kind of like a letdown in that way. But um, at, at uh, like three minutes into it or four minutes into it, after uh, you know Trey brings the dude, I think twice he's like, "I'm going to bring it again," or bring him in again. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's Mike in, into the microphone that says, "Of life." Yeah, so Mike, they are talking about the dude of life. Well, it, yeah, well, I think well, uh, yeah. Before Tom, you before okay. you tell us your story, which may have some insider information, I don't know, but I will tell you from the 100 section looking down on it that night, I have this vivid memory of of John. It's also amazing to hear your perspective because I kind of have the counterpoint to that where as a fan in the audience, front of house without any credentials, and I hear Bring the Dude, and I saw Steve earlier milling about outside, so I, I knew he was in the building, and I was getting anxiety about it <laughs> i was like i was like oh my god somebody has to go get the dude they're calling for him they're calling for him Isn't and then so they funny? kind of and then i felt like it almost felt like they were kind of when they realized that maybe he might not make it to the stage that's when that's when trey's like i'm gonna bring the dude and then goes into the stop start jam uh tom what was your perspective on it all right so my perspective is first of all uh, well, it's interesting you say Steve hadn't heard that because I was going to say if, if he heard it, you don't have to ask Steve twice to come on stage. <laughs> there would be no need to run around and, and push him on stage. He's he he loves being on stage. And if he had heard bring on the dude, he would have just come on whether or not they're talking about him. So my perspective is that the night before or sometime during that tour, and I think I may have been there. Um, I. I believe they were making fun of Mike for bringing a dude that they didn't know to some either a party or some event. They were expecting Mike and he asked for an extra guest or I could be embellishing a little bit. But for for whatever it was, Mike showed up with a guy that none of the band knew. And they were kind of making fun of him like that dude. Mike's with that dude. And so like on the bus, fish can be brutal. 
really brutal. I've been the target of it. Um, they they were calling him Dude Bringer, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so um, you know, of course, it comes out the next day. You know, they 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 and 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 I don't think it was the Dude of Life, but Mike mm-hmm. possibly to divert or to just add to the joke said of life because he probably knew Steve's there. So okay. I don't think the dude is the dude. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I think like the, the, the lyric too, like you know, big dude in the doorway or whatever, like there, there's something that Trey kind of does like a response <laughs> to that. So the, yeah, I mean, and then I think he says like, you shall bring the dude, Michael, or, or something like that. <laughs> that you're right. It could totally relate to that story. That's great. And, and it's my song. So that's when he's supposed to bring, bring the dude. But, uh, he's, he's the dude bringer. Yeah, he's the dude bringer. John, let's plow forward with this with this set. What's up? Uh, let's let's move forward with this set. So, uh, so in the Mike song, it's the bring the dude Mike song, and then it goes into a llama, which is like the vultures. It's a very unusual llama as well. Super fast, right? And then it breaks down as some kind of like slow swinging guitar jam, and then back into the into the I guess the singing and finishing yeah, the song there, super super quick. Just like the vultures, there's this moment where it kind of devolves. And yeah, it, yeah, it feels right. like it's falling apart, and then it goes right back into it. Amazing. Yeah, that's cool. It is amazing. And then when the circus comes to town, kind of, you know, love the cover, just a pretty standard version, I think. Uh, and then Weak Pog. Uh, oh, and then that kind of, you know, somehow ends up in Catapult and then back to Weak Pog. Uh, so there is that theme there. You're right, of uh, kind of, you know, devolving into something and then coming back into it. But, uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, again, to me, my, in my mind, end of act two, and probably could have been a fine end of show. Uh, we already had a lot of music that night, um, but then they go into this huge Harry Hood, right? Like a 17, 18 minute long Harry Hood. Um, and I don't quite remember all the details of this. I mean, I may have like not even, I don't, I don't know where I was at this point, like in the, in the arena, but so I can hear the audience erupting several times but I'm unable to see what's happening. So yeah. I don't know, Benji, if you remember. Yeah, you may have been in the in the in the in the clinic or something at that moment. Yeah, it might <laughs> but uh I remember because they were doing these, you know, it started at the gorge, I believe, the year before in 96, where Kuroda would turn off the lights and there was a, a, what you know the fans called the glow stick war. And Trey from the stage asked Kuroda to turn the lights off. And therefore encouraging uh, the fans to, you know, just like the dude doesn't need to be told twice. You don't need to tell uh, the guy sitting on, you know, in the aisle seat in 102 yeah. to throw a glow stick. Uh, he's been waiting for it the whole night. And so that was, <laughs> that was their time to shine. Uh, so there's a little glow stick war in there, which also, you know, the band kind of plays along to as well. Kind of like kind of like with the big ball jam where the band is literally playing the visuals that they're seeing in the arena, in the fishbowl, as it were. John, that's where we met. We were in the clinic during uh-huh. Harry Hood, and we both turned to each other and said, "What the hell's going on out there? <laughs> yeah. Should we go out and see?" Nah. No, no, I'm kidding. But uh, I was going to say I was probably still looking for Steve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, so- I, yeah, I love Harry Hood, and this one's an interesting one. I mean, just because of that ambience, it's just uh, you know the build is is kind of like you know tweaked a bit. I mean, it's such a long, long, long ambient section. Um, but still beautiful and, uh, and a nice way to end this, I'm sure, this whole tour. I mean, like, besides that, there's also the encore. But, uh, you know, Trey does sort of, you know, say something at the end of, of Harry of just like, thank you so much. We had a great time this tour. And, and that was a nice moment. 
Well, it was an, an incredible night. Uh, and f- with your experience, of, I mean, I'm sure it's a night you'll never forget. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, what a great night. It sounds like uh, exciting for, I mean, it was exciting for all of us. I, I loved it. And I did remember walking in and seeing you guys. So it was good to kind of finally meet meet you and uh, and get to talk about it. That's really cool. So that's going to do it for today. That's a wrap on Fall 97 and thus a wrap on season four of Undermine. Uh, aren't you forgetting something, Tom? Well, it was supposed to be a surprise. Well, you mean like in the same way that like an onboard at the end of a two set show is a surprise? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> exactly. But so we'll take a bow now, but but then we'll be back with a special encore episode on Friday. That's the surprise. So big round of applause for our guest today, John Kazowitz. Thanks, John. And thanks to both of my co-hosts this season, Benji Eisen and RJB. And together with Brian Brinkman, you have the Undermine Executive Producing Squad. And uh, thanks to our entire Osiris team, especially Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer for making all of this work from behind the scenes. And we couldn't do it without them and we wouldn't do it without you. So thank you for listening. And uh, please rate us, follow us, engage with us on social media and all the other things to keep in touch during the holiday break. Have a great YMSG, never change, and we'll be back. On Friday. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Of course, on Friday, Benji. Um, And after that, for season five. And one last thing, if you're looking for tickets, I might be able to help you out for fish at Madison Square Garden this New Year's or at any show, then check out Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Check them out at cashortrade.org. It's been a great tour. We'll see you around the bend. And until then, be safe and we love you. Thanks, John. Thank you, Benji. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tom. Hey, Undermine listeners, watchers, fans, people. Uh, Tom and I couldn't end this season without one more thank you. And uh, well, I guess first I'll just say again, thank you to all of you listeners because I wasn't on the last episode, but um, we really appreciate everyone's support and participation and listening along to the shows and all that. Um, We have one person on our team who we haven't thanked. We've thanked Matt and Eric and Benji and Tom and myself. I've thanked myself a lot. but. We have one person who we haven't thanked yet. And and if you're watching this or listening to this and you interact with us on any social media platform, you probably interact with this person every day. And he's the voice of Osiris. He's the public voice. He's helped build this community around this show and around, around this brand. And we absolutely would not be where we are today without him. That person is Nick Sejas, and I'm going to say it on behalf of RJ, myself, Benji, and Osiris. Thank you, Nick, so much for all your hard work. And um, if you interact with Osiris online or in any form, uh, you're often interacting directly with Nick. And Nick is the reason we sound uh, funny, have a sense of humor, um, you know, are up to date on current events. Uh, He is just a fount of knowledge and he is the public voice of Osiris. And we wouldn't be where we are without Nick. So thank you so much, Nick. And thank everyone else. Have a glorious holiday. And this season has been Uh, amazing and thanks so much for tuning in thank you Osiris this 
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.